you've got your Bibles, open up to Genesis, and we will jump right in. Now, today we finish up something, um, a couple uh, mathematical milestones here. In our 100-week overview of the Bible, today is week number, anybody know? 25, 25. So we're, for you math people out there, we're how far through? Quarter of the way through, or 25%. I was going to make it easy, right? <clears throat> Can't do hard math in the morning. I don't even do that. And uh, we've gone from five weeks in the Old Testament, five weeks in the New Testament, five weeks in the Old Testament, five weeks in the New Testament, five weeks in the Old Testament. And all three of these five-week series have all been in the book of Genesis. And today, some of you are excited to find out that this is the last lesson in the book of Genesis. Fifteen weeks in Genesis. Now, you might be thinking, 15 weeks out of 100 weeks of the entire Bible is spent in Genesis. Why is that? Well, on your handout, there is a timeline at the bottom of the fr that front page. And if you'll look and you'll see the amount of time that is covered in Genesis is almost 40% of the history of the world is just in Genesis. It's just under 40%. And you think about it, you go... Well, man, Genesis is kind of short then for 40% of the history of the world, right? It's only 50 chapters. You know, maybe we would be expecting 150-chapter Psalms or something, right? I mean, something really, really long. So today is that finishing of the 15 weeks in Genesis. And I just wanted to review a little bit some of the things that we've talked about, some of the lessons that we've learned as we went through, because that's a lot of time. Um, 2,300 years is that period of Genesis. So a couple things. One of my favorite things that I learned is that in Genesis chapter 1, God is setting the stage for how He communicates to us. Um, because most of us have been in church for quite a while, and we're used to, the Bible says it, then it's true. Right? That's just the way it works. Well, in Genesis chapter 1, God is setting the stage, and He says things like, and God said, let there be light. And then there's this cool little phrase, and it was so. And God said, let the earth bring forth whatever. And then there's this cool little phrase, and it was so. And it happened that way, whatever your translation says, right? So we're getting this idea of God says it, and then it happens. And it's really foundational to understand the whole rest of the Bible. Because if you miss that, that when God says it, it's going to happen, you can forget about things that God says sometimes and go, well, God just didn't keep his word here. He just wasn't paying attention. Right? And And... Today, at the end of the story today, we're going to talk about the outcome of this whole book of Genesis, how God takes something incredibly small over at a very long period of time, and in, I guess the modern vernacular just blows it up, right? It's just huge by the time we cross over into Exodus. Um, that's almost backward sounding, but you actually do cross over into Exodus, and then you have to escape out of Exodus, so, sorry. Theologically, my brain just went... So, number two, God takes the initiative, right? We always see that, that man finds a way to get ourselves in trouble, and then God goes out and takes the initiative. Even after six days of creation, God looks around and goes, Adam's, I don't know if he was moping around or if he just recognized, hey, which one is not like the other, but I'm alone. I don't have anybody with me, for me. You know, everybody else is taken care of. I'm alone. So God takes the initiative, and he fills something. He fills that void. He fills His creation. And He calls us to fill along with Him. Number four, sin changes everything. Right? This is the ultimate curveball in the whole story of the Bible. If you take sin out of the Bible, you have a pamphlet. You have Genesis 1 and 2. 
and parts of Revelation 21. And that's it. You have a nice little pamphlet. You can just hand it out on the street corner. No big deal. One sheet of paper. But sin changed everything. Sin created, you know, what is it, 1,125 chapters of the Bible. Wow. That's big. That's big. So we see that God provides. So sin, we mess it up, and then God fixes it. And we mess it up, and then God fixes it. And we mess it up, and God fixes it. And we see this pattern of God just providing. Uh, skip on down to... Uh, number 11, this starts to, to get into our story of Joseph, is that favoritism is just toxic in families. We see this over and over and over and over and over again. I want to be like so-and-so because daddy loves them more. I want to be like so-and-so because mama loves them more. And this families just begin to disintegrate. Um, the ends do not justify the means. This is something that I could stand up in most churches in America and say, and most Christians in America would disagree with me. I firmly, wholeheartedly believe um, that most people fundamentally live their lives with the belief that it's okay to do something wrong if I think I can make it turn out for good later on. Because we think we're really smart. I, I'll put myself, I think I'm really smart sometimes. Like, I can figure this out. Right? Yesterday, um, I spent, I had to go to Walmart <laughs> twice because of poor analysis on my part. Because Friday afternoon, we had a lightning storm at our house. Lightning popped the cable. Okay? Friday night, EPB comes back out. They fix the cable. Plug all the wires back in. Turn the TV on. No signal. Oh, no. TV's got a problem. Tried all the different cords. Went and bought new cords. Tried all those. TV's got a problem. Go to Walmart Monday, uh, Saturday morning. Buy a new TV. Hook it up. Get all the cords. Here we go. Turn it on. No signal. Call EPB up. Oh, yeah, sometimes the cable box goes bad when the lightning hits. Oh, I didn't think about that. Okay. I do not have it all figured out. Even with, like, five options for wires and two power outlet cords, right? I mean, that is more complexity than I can figure out. And sometimes I look at my life and I go, I got this figured out. I, I, can, I can do this, right? If I take this little shortcut right here, it will save so much time down the road. And it doesn't. It doesn't. Sin does not lead to shortcuts. So, um, one thing that we, I think we see that when in the story of Joseph is number 15 there is God is not in a hurry. Right? If you read the story of Joseph and you go, man, God was really rushing things. You, you, you like missed 90% of the story because 90% of the story is God just really hanging back and waiting for things to unfold. Because God waited for the right king in Egypt that would respond the right way to a dream so that Joseph could be ready when the dream occurred and everything would meet up perfectly. So that Joseph could be in a position of power to take this incredibly small group of people, less than 70 people, this whole family of Jacob, 70 people, and let them flourish into numbers that are almost unbelievable inside of Egypt the most unpredictable place. They would never would have anticipated that. And then uh, number 17, one of the things we learned in today's lesson is that people can change. People can change, right? Aren't you glad about people can change? Anybody glad that they're not who they used to be? I am. Really, really glad. Um, and then number 18, to me, the, the overarching, fundamental, coolest, encouraging thing that you can learn from Genesis is that God is not yet finished. 
He is still working. And you read the New Testament, you get all the way through the New Testament, and you go, you know what? We're kind of in that gap. We're like, if you, if you continued the book of Acts, we would be like Acts chapter 29, right? Because Acts has 28 chapters. We'd be Acts 29. We're somewhere in there. And, and we have this idea of, well, we're finished, right? God's finished working and everything's done. And no, he's, he's really not. He's, there's more to come. Keep your fork. There's more to come. So, summarize. You know, that's what you do, right? When the waiter, when you plan on ordering dessert and the waiter comes and takes your main entree, you keep your fork. Because sometimes the waiter will not bring you a fork back and you've got to sit there and stare at the dessert. It's, it's awful. All right. So, summarize the story of Joseph. Jacob is the family head, right? Jacob has many sons. This sounds like a song here or something. Um, Jacob's got many sons. One is his favorite. His favorite is Joseph. His brothers do not like Joseph because Joseph is the favorite. His brothers get together when Joseph is 17 years old, sell him into slavery. Yay. Boy, that was fantastic, right? Really? Sell him into slavery? Yep, sell him into slavery. Off he goes to Egypt. God uses a variety of incredibly painful experiences to bring him to be the second most powerful person in Egypt. Okay. Now, when, jo- when Joseph is alive, the pyramids are already old. Egypt is at its zenith. They are, they are power, power, force in this area of the world. And he's the second most in command of that. He's got real power. Famine in the land. Jacob and his 11 sons are over in Canaan. They're hungry. Egypt's got food because God raised Joseph up, told Joseph what to do. He sends his sons. Jacob sends his sons over to Egypt. They get to Egypt. Who do they negotiate with? They negotiate with Joseph. But Joseph is the world's best poker player. Right? He's the world's best. He keeps his cards right next to his chest for over a year. Because they go and they get grain. He sends them back. And then they've got to come back again because the grain ran out. His brothers don't know who he is. So they're talking to a guy they haven't seen in 22-ish years. It's our best guess on the number. So some of you might go, well, they should have recognized him. Okay, hold a picture of yourself up when you were 17 and compare that picture to a picture of yourself when you were 39. I'm not there yet, but 17 and 35 don't look anything like each other. Okay, this guy, Jim at 35, looks like... Jim ate Jim at 17, okay? <laughs> right? I mean, it's like the fat suit came on. That's how this, yeah, all right. So they don't recognize him. He's dressed in Egyptian clothing. They don't, they're not anticipating the guy that they deal with to be their brother. They thought their brother was dead. He, he looks like an Egyptian. He walks like an Egyptian. He literally talks like an Egyptian. He's, he's, been, given, he, he's been given another name, an Egyptian name. They're not expecting this is Joseph. So, we get through all of that, and Joseph is testing them. He is testing them to see if they are repentant yet for selling him into slavery. And Joseph tells them, Joseph tells them, if you will bring back my, if you will bring back your father's youngest son, Joseph's full brother, then I will take care of your family with grain and whatnot. And we end up, Genesis chapter 44, with Judah giving this amazing speech about we cannot break our father's heart again. He will not survive it. And it's a really sad speech 
you know? And he just goes on, and it's like 20 verses. He just goes on and on and on. And then we get to Genesis 45. So look at Genesis 45 in your Bible. Here we go. Verse 1, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one, this is of the Egyptians, stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He makes himself known. Now, how many of you have seen the show uh, ABC's Extreme Makeover Home Edition? What's your favorite part of the show? Move that bus. It's everybody's favorite part of the show. It's the reason you watch the show. You don't watch the show to find out the backstory of the family. That's nice. I mean, that's okay. You don't watch the show to see all the, uh, the conflict and the challenges that the builders had during the week. That's, yeah, okay, whatever. You watch the show to see Ty Pennington there with his stupid megaphone going, Move that bus. This is the move that bus moment in the story of Joseph. All right. The bus moves along, and his brothers sit there. What did you just say? They're speechless. He has to tell you. Just pay attention to how many times he has to tell them, "I'm your brother Joseph." Okay. Verse two. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Verse three. Then Joseph said to his brother, "Brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live?" But his brothers could not answer them, for they were dismayed. Which I think is probably, you know, the Bible is made up of words. We are, we are restricted and limited to words and their meaning. And I feel sorry for Moses here, who is capturing this story, that he has to encapsulate all of the emotions of this entire thing into one word. He's got one word. Do you think it would be a little broader than dismayed? Yeah, I think I need a change of underpants. You know, because this guy is not supposed to be alive. He's supposed to be dead. And he's alive. And he's, they're scared to death. They were dismayed in his presence. Verse 4, And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near me. So they came near. Have they spoken yet? No, they have not spoken yet. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother. <laughs> I love Joseph. When Joseph has an important message to deliver, he just repeats and repeats and repeats and repeats. And this is a good thing to know. Communication is all about repetition of the message at some point. Can I get a witness? There we go. All right. My communications expert back there. I am, your, I am Joseph, your brother, who you sold into Egypt, verse 5, but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves. Curious little phrasing, isn't it? Because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. And for me, this is perspective. Right? This is just an ultimate example of, I have forgiven you, I have chalked this up in the forgiven column, and I have taken a broad look at this whole picture, and I see God's hand at work. And if you want to know when you've forgiven somebody, when you have chalked it up into forgiveness, and when you can see God's hand at work through, despite, Whatever word you want to use, through all of that sin, God is still working because he is not finished. And when we get to this verse, he's still not finished. Joseph's holding on to his fork. Better things are coming, I promise. Better things are coming. So, verse 6. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity. Anybody have a different translation of that in your Bible? Genesis 45. What do you got, Daniel? Preserve for you a remnant on the earth. 
Well, that cleared it up, didn't it? So what are we talking about here? Their family, right? Absolutely, their family. There were several promises that God made to people before this story that I am going to make of you, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, a great nation. At this point, there are about 65 shepherds wandering around in this little wilderness in Canaan. It's been, it's been 215 years since God told Abraham, I will make you a great nation. 215 years, and we've gone from one to 65. Now, I am a math guy, and that's going to take a long time to be a great nation at that rate. But is God finished? No, he is not finished. He is still working. To preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Literally, the Hebrew word here means a great escape or a great exodus. Lovely foreshadowing, right? Because with the next book of the Bible, Exodus, right? He's going to get them in, and he's going to get them out. Verse 8, so no, so now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh. This is a euphemism for the chief minister in the, position, in the kingdom of Egypt. And lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, I've got a question on your handout. And the question is, why was Joseph in Egypt? Was it because his brothers were evil? Or because, it, because God was good? What was the answer? Yes is the answer. Because God will use almost anything to get his job done. He will use almost anything. You don't believe it? Look at the life of Joseph. He used a butler, a baker, um, a, a candlestick maker. Yeah, that was, Darla, that was awesome. That was awesome. I totally teed that up, and you just knocked it right out of the park. Yeah, butler, a baker, he used a, um, I would say a rather, can I say aggressive cougar? I don't know, maybe. Um, he used uh, he used evil brothers that sold, yeah, y'all don't Google that, right? He used evil brothers that sold him into slavery. He used this dream of a Pharaoh. A dream, what in the world, right? He used all the wise men of Pharaoh that couldn't figure it out. He's working through all of this to make this happen. And we think that we're smarter than God. <laughs> I can't plan what I'm going to wear tomorrow. Never mind what's going to happen 215 years from now in a dream. Verse 9, hurry up and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Uh, Lord here is not the idea of God. Lord here is the idea of a ruler or a master. So this is not Joseph being really cocky. Um, come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. Goshen is kind of like the primo real estate in Egypt. And you shall be near to me, you and your children, and your children's children, your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you. It's a big statement. Because it was the daddy's job to provide for the son. It's not the son's job to provide for the daddy. So again, God turns this thing on its head. I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. Verse 12, And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin shall see it, that it is in my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Now, have his brothers spoken yet? No. <laughs> They're still going, huh? <laughs> Hang on, you have to retell this because we thought you were dead. Right? Because that's what we intended. It's hard. 
And verse 14, if, if you think Joseph is just full of words here, right? Verse 14 shows he's not just full of words. He fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And, ben, and Benjamin wept on his neck. And we expect that because this is his full brother. This is the guy that his father loves. And you love the things that, you, that, that people that you love, love. You can go home and diagram that sentence later. Verse 15, moreover, he kissed all his brothers. And this is where I think forgiveness and reconciliation are just stunningly beautiful. Because it's been 22 years since he sold them into slavery, and that's plenty of time to harbor bitterness. I mean, I can get bitter about something in about five seconds flat. Can you give me 22 years? We're, we, you know, the New Testament talks about these roots of bitterness. I don't have no root. I'm going to have a sequoia, right? It's going to be a tree that is not going anywhere. 22 years. And what does he do? He hugs them and he kisses them. What an example of how to forgive. This is hug, kiss, weep, fantastic. And after that, his brothers talked with him. <laughs> okay. So now they're, they're kind of feeling a little more comfortable at this point, right? So verse 16, Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. Because when you like somebody and good things happen to them, you are glad for them. Right? This is just a good thing. So Pharaoh really actually liked Joseph. Good. Verse 17, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, Load your animals and depart, Go to the land of Canaan, Bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, And you will eat of the fat of the land. Now you are commanded to do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt For your little ones and your wives, Bring your father and come, And do not be concerned about your goods, For the best of all of the Egypt is yours. I don't know if you've ever been relocated because of a job. Anybody ever been relocated because of a job? Been relocated? Did, did they tell you, just leave all of your possessions, we'll furnish everything new when you get here? No. <laughs> and if you ever get a job offer like that, I'd jump on it, just saying. I, I, I might be interested. And, and this wasn't just all your possessions. This was everything. Just bring yourselves and your family. We'll take care of everything else. We'll give you all new land, and we'll take care of it all. Wow. Kind of cool. Now, let's put this in perspective. Let's put this in perspective. Where are Jacob and his family? They're over here in the backwoods of Canaan, right? Yeah. I can hear banjos playing, right? Which is backwood territory. And the king of Egypt has just said, we're going to send Egyptian carts loaded down with the best of Egypt back to the backwood territory. One of my favorite commentators, Boyce, said, this is the equivalent of landing a 747 in the jungles of Africa. Everybody be going, wow, what's that? This was technology. This was wealth. This was extravagance that was not known to this part of the world. They didn't have this. Okay. So when these carts came back, this was wow. Verse 21, sorry. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh. He gave them provisions for the journey. He gave them all of them, to each man, changes of garments. This was uh, an example of wealth, because if you stopped and had a party and you changed clothes in the middle of the party, this was a show of how, how wealthy that I am. Which, okay, apparently they're going to party on the way back now. Okay. Or Pharaoh didn't like their clothes, I don't know. Verse 22, he gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver. And you go, is that a lot of money or is that not a lot of money? Well, you could buy a slave for 30 pieces of silver. So this was 10 slaves worth of money. I think I could start a small empire with 10 slaves. I'd say this is a lot of money. Okay, And five changes of garments. 
And, and remember now, this isn't backwoods banjo playing garments. This is king of Egypt guard garments, right? So Benjamin's going to walk back up to his dad, and his dad's going to be like, dang, son, who's your tailor? <laughs> I mean, you're looking pretty good here, right? And this is, well, you couldn't see that well, but that's another story. Verse 23, and he sent to his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So you go, that seems like a lot. Yes, it was meant to completely overwhelm Jacob. It was meant to make him look and go, you guys are telling the truth. Because his brothers were not known for their honesty. Right? Okay. Verse 24, so he sent his brothers away and they departed. And he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. Have you ever had anybody give you something so much and you begin to kind of wonder, is this really true or not? Did I just step off into fairyland or something here? This is, I, I don't deserve or expect this. And that's what he's telling them. Don't, don't become troubled along the way. Don't, this is, it's all taken care of. Right? I've signed this check. It's good. Verse 25, and they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. I love how they don't beat around the bush here. And Jacob's heart stood still. And just for a second, you're reading the biblical text, and you're going, No, we can't die because of this news. <laughs> like, oh my goodness, please don't let him die right here. And good, thank God there's a comma, right? Because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Jacob said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, Right, They did their job. The spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. So what are we calling Jacob at this point? We're calling him Jacob, right? And then in that same verse, we switch, or verse 28, we switch over then Israel. Now, one of, there's two things that I have skipped theologically as we have gone through the story of jo uh, Joseph. One, I have skipped the alternating names of Jacob and Israel, right? And they mean something. Every time you see this transition, that we're talking about something on purpose here. Jacob is the deceiver. Jacob is the conniving, stab you in the back, take my brother's inheritance, I mean, the whole nine yards. Israel is, y'all remember what the name Israel means? Hi, my name is God wins. Y'all remember that? God wins. God wins, because he beat me, because I'm limping still, right? Because he's limping everywhere he goes. because He wrestled with that angel, and God won. So. So when we switch over to Israel, his behavior dramatically improves. Okay? Then Israel said, it is enough. He's just overwhelmed. Right? He's like, okay, I believe you. It's enough. I believe you. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. I told you there were two theological concepts that I had skipped as we'd gone through the story of Joseph. One is this Jacob-Israel bouncing back and forth. It takes a tremendous amount of time to go through and explain each time it happens. So I, because this is a bit of an overview, I didn't go into that. The second theological concept is typology. I think it's actually at the top of that page. Um, typology, is a, typology is something happens in the Old Testament that prefigures something that's going to happen in the New Testament. You look at an Old Testament story and you go, this reminds me a lot of this New Testament thing. Right? And almost everybody that reads the story of Joseph can see at least a few parallels between Joseph's life and Jesus's life. Joseph is an Old Testament type of Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean he is Jesus. I'm not saying Joseph is Jesus, right? Everybody nod your head. You understand that. Right? Joseph is Joseph. Jesus is Jesus. 
Joseph on his best day is a lousy Jesus. Jesus never had a bad day, so I can't compare him back to Joseph. So he's a type of, of Jesus here. But even when he is a type, he falls short of what Jesus really is. Tim Archer and I were talking about this last week before he taught. And, um, and this idea that, that anybody can fill Jesus' shoes, no, can't, can't do that at all. Jesus is Jesus. He's the one, the only one. That's it. So back to the story. Verse 1, Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in visions of the night. Here we go with dreams again, right? You don't, if you, if you leave the book of Genesis and don't see that God speaks through dreams in the book of Genesis, we've really missed a lot of communication. Dreams are a big form of communication with God. God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. One more aside, sorry. You want a really cool Bible study? Study all the times where God repeats somebody's name before he tells them something. And Jacob said, here I am. So he, God said, I am God, God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will surely bring you up again. This is the prophecy. I'm not going to leave you in Egypt. This is 400 years later we're coming out. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. End of quote. And you go, put his hand on your eyes. What, has he got like some gang symbols or something here? I mean, what's going on? Right? In the movies, in the movies, when does somebody put their hand on somebody else's eyes? When they die, right? So you're going to die in Sunday school. You ready? So you've died. No, you got to have your eyes open, man, because i got to put my hand on your eyes. Come on here. I'm like, all right. So he's, he's dead. He looks alive, but he's really dead, okay? And I come along, and I did, oh, look at there. That was awesome, wasn't it? That was good. The Academy Award right there. Man. Yeah, so he's going to put his hand on your eyes. Now, what does that mean about Joseph in relative position to Jacob when he dies? Too close, right? God's telling him, I'm going to bring you safely there. And at the end of all of this in your life, your family's going to be around you. I, I don't know how you want to go, but I want to be holding her hand. Okay? That checks the box for me. Um, so, he's got this great security about the end. Sorry, I got all the ladies crying now. <laughs> I'm a beer balling like a baby. All right. <clears throat> That was awesome. All right, so so quick summary of all of the rest of Genesis. You ready? You ready for it? And they lived happily ever after. That's it. What happened? Jacob, uh, Jacob is actually introduced to Pharaoh. It's the, one of the funniest parts in all of Genesis, I think. I think it's absolutely hilarious. Because Pharaoh asked Jacob one question. Anybody, Bible trivia time. Anybody know what the one question that Pharaoh asked Jacob is? What is it, Julie? How old are you? <laughs> you know what his answer is? 130. He's dragging his leg behind him, right? He's probably crippled in his back. You know how long he lives in Egypt? 17 years. Now, don't forget the math. How many years did he get with Joseph? 
before he was sold into slavery? How many did he get on the backside of his life? Don't tell me God's not good. God's good. Now, now for the rest of the math. You ready? So when they get to Egypt, there's 70 guys. Big crowd, right? Yeah. And uh, in Exodus... In Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, one of the saddest sentences in the Bible, and there arose a king in Egypt who did not know Joseph. Anybody know how long that was between the time of they went into Egypt to the time where that king arose? 430 years. Now, if you wonder what the children of Israel did while they were in Egypt, I'll give you a little hint. When they went in, there were 70 people. When they came out, there were 600,000 men, just men, which puts their total population probably upwards of a 2 million people. So 430 years. But what do you think they did while they were in Egypt? <laughs> they enjoyed the fat of the land, right? I mean, they multiplied. They did what God told them to do back in Genesis chapter 1, you know? Be fruitful and multiply. And then they were big enough to actually be a country of their own. Now, here's what God here's how God used Egypt. God used Egypt kind of like a mother's womb to protect them because they were safe from outside oppression while they were in Egypt. Right? Baby's safe right now, right? It's like, yeah, that's cool. Okay. But was it easy in Egypt? Well, at first it was. First it was happily ever after. That's how Joseph lived. And then it got really difficult because his king arose and Things went south really fast. Mm, things went east really fast. Sorry. Um, that was good, wasn't it? So, so God, in his infinite wisdom, takes 215 years to go from 1 to 70. And he takes 430 years to go from 70 to 2 million. You think he's in a hurry? I don't think he's in a hurry. I think he's got all the dominoes lined up just like he wants them. So when he's ready, he's ready. So what do we learn from this passage? What's the point? Well, God is faithful to do what he said. Amen? I'm glad he still is. Amen? <laughs> Reconciliation is worth the effort. Three, forgiveness is beautiful. It really is. Because when you see people reconcile and forgive each other, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And we only get to experience that because God forgave us first. So what do I do with that? Well, be faithful to what God has told us to do. Look for opportunities to reconcile. Forgive as often as possible and as quickly as possible. Because it took 22 years for that forgiveness to take place. And that reconciliation to take place. And it didn't really have to. It didn't have to take 22 years. So... That's the story of Joseph. There's one sheet at each table. Make sure everybody's name is on it. That's where your prayer requests go. Pray as a table. And then come back next week because we start back in the New Testament with the miracles of Jesus. If you thought the cool stuff God did in Genesis was neat, he does some really cool stuff in the New Testament too. So thanks for coming.